Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with our podcast, then you know we review two episodes of the show every podcast. And today, we have arrived at Korra uh, Season 2, Episode 9, The Guide. This episode was written by Joshua Hamilton, who, as we've talked about in previous episodes of the podcast, uh, he and Tim Hedrick kind of at this point are just kind of handing off the episodes back and forth to each other every time. So I'm fully expecting uh, Tim Hedrick to handle the next one if they uh, if they're true to form. Uh, the, yes. <laughs> the episode is directed by Colin Heck, uh, who has become a very familiar name to us here in season two. Uh, this episode is, oh no, is it Studio Perot? Is it really? Yes, so I, <laughs> I made it oopsie. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> uh, I thought that after, um, the beginnings part one and two, that it was going to be Studio Perot for the rest of the season. This is, and I check, this is the only episode past beginnings part one and two that is Studio Perot. Everything else from here on out is Studio Mir. I'm sorry, I made that mistake. And I even noticed it. I was like, wait a minute. This is like giving severe Perot energy. Yeah, it really was. I thought maybe they just had a sleepy day over there at Studio Mir, but no, no, no. <laughs> to be fair, though, to Studio Perot, this probably is some of their best animation work. Uh -huh. I think that they kind of wanted to go out with a bit of a bang for their last episode. But yep. like, I could still tell it was them as opposed to Studio Mir, which you can see in the in the next couple episodes. It's, it's very different animation. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it is Studio Pro, but this is the last time that we'll see them for the rest of Legend of Korra. Ever. So good job, Studio Pro. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Slow clap. <laughs> Great to have you. Anyway, uh, the episode aired <laughs> November 1st, 2013, and the IMDb rating of The Guide is 7.9 out of 10. Take us away with those fun facts, Amanda. Uh, we only have two. There really were slim pickings for this episode. Oh no! Um, yeah, it's fine. Um, so for our first fun fact, Korra's narration of events that occurred since Tenzin's vacation parallels Sokka's recollection of Team Avatar's journey in The Day of Black Sun Part 1. I remember. I completely, yes. <laughs> Let me start from the beginning. <laughs> the beginning, beginning. Yes, I love that fact. Like, it's such a subtle thing, but I immediately did think back to Sokka and just being the adorable, gorgeous goofball he is. It, so. it, it also gave guy. me, like, Luis from the Ant-Man movies. I need, like, bongo drums oh, yeah. real quick introducing it as she, like, <laughs> yeah. flashed back. It would have been great. It would have been awesome to have, like, everyone, her, like, <laughs> quoting everyone and doing their voices and her voice just, like, dubbed over them as they're talking. Oh, oh, just wait. There actually is going to be that in <gasps> season four. Really? <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh, okay. And it's done by Varric. No! Yeah. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I'm so excited for you to see that. It's like an abridged series oh. of Legend of Korra done by Varric. Oh my gosh. Okay, <laughs> season four is officially my favorite season. I can't wait to get there. <laughs> yes. Can we make time go it. faster? Please, Varric, where's the Varric Industries time machine? I'm asking nicely. <laughs> oh man, that is so funny. Um, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Um, and so for our second fun fact, the garden in the Eastern Air Temple where Tenzin and Korra attempted to enter the spirit world was where Aang first met Guru Patik in The Guru, which is season two, you know, 
Avatar season two. Um, and they kind of mentioned that, but I feel like that's, it's kind of a throwaway line, but like, if you're as entrenched as Avatar as I am, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is where the guru, and like, this is where he was opening his chakras, and like, mm -hmm. I was like, being like, wow, I'm seeing all the places where he went, like, you know, Yang Chen's giant statue, and like the, you know, the boulder overlooking the valley, and I'm just like, oh, all these places, I recognize the nostalgia. Mm -hmm. It, but, uh, I I, I, I almost kind of want to jump off of this last fun fact and mm -hmm. use it as a catapult into the episode. Right. So go for it because that's all we have. <laughs> yeah, that is that's all we got. Here's the fun the fun facts. Now we're gonna have the hot takes as usual. Um, <laughs> oh no. So so the episode overall, uh, just as, as a quick overview, is like not a lot happens in the episode. Like overall, there's mm -hmm. a lot of like introspective character time spent which isn't a bad thing with Korra and like Aang's three children and Janara Janora or Janara Janora Janora thank you and and Janora and the whole you know her whole revelation that she can see the spirit world which incidentally is very well done but like on this note this was like one complaint I had about the episode the whole episode overall mm -hmm. is like nothing record-breaking amazing but like it's a pretty solid episode but here's where i thought they really had the ball out in front of them and i personally felt like they whiffed it because literally exactly what you said the garden in the east air temple is literally where ang met guru batik in the episode the guru and it should have had it could have had massive nostalgic ties back to avatar massive spiritual significance considering it's literally where ang the last avatar aligned the chakras there and instead they're like nah this isn't the place let's let's for sake mm -hmm. of having janora like lead some effort they, they could have done this so differently and i really really wish that they did they should have had him tens and caught up in maybe all of like the mystique of the temple and like the mythology and he's taking them to grand meditation chambers and he's taking them to all these places and gardens and fountains and all these spots and maybe the spirits by Janora would lead them to the only spot that tens and missed which is this you know this this humble you know courtyard and it would be there that the spirits would pretty much reveal mm -hmm. to them, oh, this is where Aang did this, you know? Maybe something that Tennyson had missed as he was so caught up in the grandeur of the temple that in the historical significance, the ancient this, the ancient that, as they said, that maybe he would have missed it. So, like, I kind of wish that they hadn't done that. I was actually kind of let down by that, that they didn't have... Um, a tie-in of Korra entering the spirit world where Aang... Yeah, uh, no, I agree. Go, like like I said, cool. it kind of was a throwaway line and it wouldn't mean anything to someone that hadn't watched Avatar, but I felt like if, kind of like what you said, if you just kind of lingered on it a little, like, I don't know, maybe she like sat down in the same spot that Aang did and like felt something or like, you know, just had, or maybe she opened her own chakras. I don't know. Like you could have mm -hmm. had a kind of parallel episode um, to the guru, which I mean, thinking back to the way that we reviewed that, like that was a really, really highly ranked episode um, for season two. Like I really love that episode. So, you know, yeah. it was cool, you know, nostalgia wise, just to go back to the place and like have that one little throwaway line. But I do wish, like you said, that they kind of lingered on it a bit more and like this was kind of an important place for ang at that time and like you know but uh you know it i get that that's not the point the point is not to look back to avatar and like 
you know, oh, just just stay there. Like we got to keep going forward with the story and everything. Uh, but um, yes, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to do that. It's fine. Uh, I guess, I guess. But um, on a real positive note, you did mention the other fun fact. Like literally, one of my favorite episode, our favorite moments of the episode, because I laughed so loud out, like like when this happened, was Cora like takes a big breath and she recaps everything that's happened since they last saw her, and everyone's just dumbstruck, and Tenton, without breaking a beat, just goes, <laughs> "I knew this would happen." <laughs> right, just in like a like, completely straight face. How would you know that this? What? <laughs> I know, and no one questions that. It's just like, okay, sure, <laughs> sure, tense, and you knew that this would happen. Yeah, given, no, I I thought that that was really funny too when I first watched it. Given that Tenzin is like the paranoid overthinker who would like be that person who you'd interrupt in the middle of like him just sitting there, kind of staring off into space. That kind of person's like, oh, what are what are you thinking about? I seem to have you know interrupted you in the middle of a thought. What was it? He was probably like, oh, I was just thinking about what would happen if the world lost all of its leaves on all of its trees. Like, would you think it would affect the entire environment? Would oxygen production be way down? How would we recover? Like he plans for pretty much every bad thing to happen so i actually don't doubt that he's like i knew this would happen have you had that thought of like what would what would happen if all the leaves on the trees disappeared that seemed like oddly specific uh not for a long time but anyway it was a really funny line not for a really long time um yeah so so the episode takes them through um, like as I said, a really interesting character study as it brings them all through through um, a very patiently paced uh, narrative of Tenzin bringing them to all these different meditative spots, all mm-hmm. trying to meditate and enter the spirit world. Now, yeah, it... is this the same way that the Ang was like he would meditate? The way didn't he do this in? Um, or is it the first season of Avatar when they were in the North Pole? Didn't he meditate at the pool and enter the spirit wheel then? Or am I like not thinking right? Yeah, yeah. No, that like it wasn't like here where he went to a bunch of different places. No, he yeah. went to the most spiritually significant place in the North Pole, which was the spirit oasis. Right. Um, and obviously, because that's where Tween Law, the moon and ocean spirit, were. And that's how he was able to meditate basically almost instantly because it's so spiritually charged that area right um but uh yeah so i for me the best part of this episode just kind of bouncing off the whole you know meditating and the the kind of slower pace that this episode has is that they take the roles of tenzin and cora and they flip them because tenzin is usually the calm, patient mentor figure, and Cora is the hot-headed one that wants to just find the quick and easy way, mm-hmm. you know, through a, a problem or a solution or whatever. And in this episode, be, maybe because Cora's kind of had a bit of a spiritual reawakening since meeting, you know, Avatar One, mm-hmm. that she she kind of becomes the Tenzin figure, and she's the one that's willing to take the slow and easy path, or not easy, but the slow and difficult path, whereas Tenzin is trying to rush through and, like, you know, get stuff done, and is kind of losing his temper at at several points, like, Mm -hmm. kind of snapping at people for no reason, (laughs) like, and so, and I just love these little moments. Again, this is what I'm talking about. Korra's development through the seasons is so gradual, like, it's very, it's small things, like, Mm -hmm. You know, um, when 
when Tenzin was complaining about Milo not, you know, hitting the bell right or whatever. And then Cora's just so sweetly like, I think it was great. I'm just like, oh, my heart. Like, she's so sweet. Um, just little moments like that I love. And I know she's been a total bitch this whole season. But, like, even at, in this season, she takes steps to becoming better and, you know, a more empathetic person and yeah. all that fun stuff so sometimes you just someone's just smack you halfway to the spirit realm literally like it seemed to have worked wonders for her um, but uh yeah so i really do like that and i tends on losing his temper which he does quite a bit honestly it's very funny to me like anytime jk i was gonna say jk rolling <laughs> jk simmons there we go um <laughs> um anytime jk simmons like gets frustrated or has to be angry for a role it's hilarious <laughs> yeah yeah um but uh yeah so i really did like that in this episode um and yeah it was a little slower paced in their scenes which you know it, it is what it is but um yeah i like that <laughs> So it's really interesting that you bring up the whole uh, role reversal between Tenzin and Korra because, you know, you saying that kind of like a light bulb went on. And while you were talking about it just now, as you were, were telling me more about it, it actually made me think back on the episode. And I'm like, wow, you're right. And so I've done a little like character analysis introspection in the last like minute while you were talking um, and just thought about it. And it is really interesting because, you know, Cora's frustration with Tenzin's teaching methods is born out of not just, oh, sure, she's frustrated. But why is she frustrated? It's self-doubt. She's always been like, I don't deserve, you know, to be the avatar. It's why is this so hard for me? It's this should be easy. Why am I struggling? It's like this assumption that she should be doing well because this is what she's meant for. And how interesting is it then that when you talk about the role reversal, well, that's exactly the place where Tenzin's frustration is coming from. This idea of I've prepared for this my entire life. The this should be easy for me. The this is what I was meant to do. So why is this a struggle, you know? And so that being an issue for him, it really does accurately mirror Korra that way. And those, both of those traits, again, they're kind of reversals of what we're used to seeing for these mm -hmm. characters. So I really like that they did that. It kind of pulled the rug out from under us. And because you're expecting that Korra will be the one to be super in impatient right. and like, you know, frustrated because she can't get into the spirit world. But in reality, no, it's Tenzin, right. which. I like that. And although I will say the fact that everyone was so shocked that he had never been in the spirit world, like getting into the spirit world is not something that just any person can do. Right. Even if you are, you know, an air nomad or spiritually inclined, like it took a very specific kind of person to get into the spirit world. And the only person outside of the avatar that I believe was confirmed to have gone to the spirit world, or sorry, there were two people. Um, in avatar that were confirmed to have gone to the spirit world and that was iroh mm -hmm. obviously and zhao surprisingly <laughs> because remember he went into the library mm -hmm. although i guess that maybe that doesn't really count because the library was a physical place where a spirit well, just occupied like physically in our world which is how he so that that's kind of yeah yeah iroh for sure had gone into the spirit world and knew about the spirits and had like a spiritual connection like he saw ang with roku's dragon like Zhao you know. didn't really go into the spirit world he just kind of like found the back door and like went in <laughs> he, he 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 got in through the back rooms 
basically. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense that he wouldn't have been able, even if yeah. he was the son of Aang, that doesn't mean anything. Like, you know, Aang was only able to go into the spirit world because he was the avatar. Like he wouldn't I, have been able to I think the other it, way. I think it's interesting though, that Tenzin though puts such a stress on himself, which is, let's face it. And I've talked about it before recently, even in this season that Tenzin has big firstborn child energy that he's, <laughs> he's got all the pressure is on him, all the, am I disappointing people? But instead of being like boomy and like, you know, putting all the stress on himself to, to, um, or, or rather than being like boomy, what was I about to say? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was about to contrast him with boomy in some way. Um, well, Boomy uses his oh, like a joke. Like I, the I, fact thank you. That that jawed it immediately, actually. Um Boomy owns his failures and is able to mm -hmm. laugh at himself. Tenzin views his shortcomings and everybody's shortcomings. I think actually, as I'm saying it, he views his shortcomings as being so grievous as such disappointments. I think that's why it annoys him so much to see other people laugh off the ways they have screwed up failed or come short because he's watching people do what he himself can't do right which all by itself is a huge subject i'm just gonna quickly open the door on for perspective mm -hmm. like there's way more times in life than we realize when like the resentment of people toward other people and like the frustration that they air is watching other people do what you can't do you know, right. you see somebody else having a successful relationship and you resent them because maybe you've had bad history in your life. You see somebody with a happy family and you get envious and angry at them. And I think a really, really common one, more common than we realize, is watching other people be content with themselves, whether it's their job status or their body and we see other people be happy and you see all this resentment come against them for no reason it's coming from people who are mad that if that person is happy with something that if i was that way if i had that job or if i had that body i'd be angry and hating myself all the time and they're watching somebody doing better than them, it's the same thing. It makes them envious. It makes them angry. And I really think that's where a lot of Tenzin's criticism of his siblings come from, is they're so easygoing, and he is so unable to accept what he views as a shortcoming that he even lies about it. Sure, I've entered right. the spirit world, even though he's never really done it like in the show. Apparently, he's given the impression, at least, if he hasn't outright said he's been to the spirit world, just to cover up his shortcoming. And one that's easily forgivable. Like you said, everyone was surprised you did it. It's no easy feat. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. And while we're on that specific topic, I love the line that Boomy says. Where he says, welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. Exactly the <laughs> line I was thinking of. So good. It, it's so perfect for Boomy because again he's making a joke out of something that's super serious to uh, Tenzin like the shortcoming of his that he wasn't able to go into the spirit world or he isn't able to go into the spirit world um, and yeah Boomy of course would make a joke out of it because that's what he is or who he is I should say yeah. Um, but yeah no it's it's really good character work and I, again I like seeing the tables kind of turn on the characters and we see a different side to them um, but uh yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's like, all I basically have to say about the spirit world. That's, like, the main plot line for the episode. 
but they're actually unless you had more to say um there's only one other thing that i actually wanted to ask which mm -hmm. is uh janora and her whole tie to the spirit world she just randomly is playing with spirits and we're like watching it question for you were we supposed to be able to look back at like things she says or things she's doing do we watch her sort of like playing with nothing spinning in circles in other parts of the season or series so far and like are we supposed to be able to look back and imply oh look they're showing us something that we could have seen all along in hindsight or is this just contrived just for this episode <laughs> yes and no well yes but actually no <laughs> um... <laughs> that's right that's my favorite answer of yours to any question Right. I do love that meme. Um, so yes, in the way that she is the most, I don't know, she's the most bookish out of the three children. Mm -hmm. Like she's always reading. She's always like trying to learn more information. Like clearly the first thing she does when we meet her in Legend of Korra in season one is she's asking Katara about the history of Team Avatar. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's literally what she, the first thing she does. And so you know, in that way, it makes kind of sense that she would have like a almost, I don't know, it, it's, it's like, you know, air nomads, they are super spiritual, just naturally. Right. But then on top of that, she's incredibly smart. And um, what's the word? Uh, precocious? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she's a very precocious kid. Um, very, you know, intuitive and all that. So it would make sense that she would have a stronger link to the spirits and just to anything spiritual than her siblings. Um, and also the only other thing that I would point to that actually happened in this season was, um, I can't remember which episode it was, but it was an earlier episode where they're in one of the air temples and she's looking at all the statues yes. and she sees the statue of Avatar Wan and Rava. And she doesn't know that that's who it is at the point. We don't know that that's who it is at the at that point. Mm -hmm. But she kind of stares at it and like a, a glint goes across her eyes like she's made some kind of connection with it. Right. Like she's, and she knows who it is without any pretense. Like, um, so that's really the only hint that, that like the ex an explicit hint that she gives. Yeah. Um, in any of the episodes but yeah the and i'm not a huge fan of this my this is another hot take for you guys um i'm not a huge fan of janora like just as a character because she's not a character she is literally like she is hermione if you stripped away all of the like charm and flaws and she's just kind of like the bookish you know, spiritual girl. That's that's all she is. She doesn't have a character. <laughs> so I much prefer Iki and Milo t out of Tenzin's children because they actually do have arcs going into mm -hmm. season four. Um, and Janora just kind of stays the same, very static character and not particularly interesting to me at least. Um, and I do feel that had they given her more of a buildup to this like spiritual side that she has, it would have worked better, but because it does kind of feel like it comes out of nowhere. It really did. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, not a huge fan of that. And there's a lot of stuff in the finale that I just, <laughs> I'm just going to let you experience. I, I, I can't wait for it. Cause it's coming up fast. It really, I know. Yeah. Very fast. I, yeah. 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 For, yeah. Any, for anybody who's, who's, who's listening, by the way, like we're recording 
the podcast for episodes 9 and 10 right now, but we've already done 11 and 12. Like, we are just buzzed on Korra. We've watched four episodes of Legend of Korra as we're doing this. We're recording this episode and the next one. No pretenses about it. Like, we are fried. And I was fully expecting that 12 was going to be the finale. And I'm just like, man, it's getting close, but okay, there's more. All right, then. Season two can't end fast enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's special. But the B storyline, now that we've covered everything with the A storyline, excuse me, is that um, Mako, like, he knows that Varric, obviously from the previous episodes, he knows that Varric is the one that's been stealing from himself, basically stealing yeah. from the future industries and the Varric Industries ships. And he's trying so hard to prove it, but obviously nobody's listening to him. Nobody's believing him, which is so stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, like that to me is so contrived again, speaking of contrived because it's yeah. like the guy has evidence. And just because, you know, Ver- I think it's just because Varric's got everybody in his pocket. Um, but yeah, so he's failing. And on top of all of that, him and Asami are kind of like officially back together, which <laughs> I'm not mad at them for that because like him and Cora had a hard breakup. And yeah, you know, it's a little soon. It was only a week. It's a little quick to rebound. But then again, it's he's going back to somebody he was with before. He's not like, oh, I'm right. going to rebound and start with somebody new. He's kind of like comfort falling back into the arms of somebody who pretty much has been waiting for it to end, let's be honest. So, again, <laughs> right. my man Mako did nothing wrong. Hashtag Mako did nothing wrong. Yeah, sure. Let's wait until we get to the next episode for that. <laughs> uh yeah, okay. Um yeah. Speaking so so yeah, so Varric uh um uh, isn't that where Varric uh winds up asking making him trying to make the deal that he can't refuse where he confronts yep. Varric. Or rather Varric brings him in basically to speak to him and uh, i i really enjoy in the scene where Varric is there talking to him. He walks across the hot coals, of course. Uh, to get rid of his foot fungus quote unquote and uh he he kind of does this like godfather style like offer he can't refuse where he's like in really vague terms not so vague he's like yeah you could be a bodyguard you know you'll work with me because you never know when something might happen to the people you care about basically like underlyingly threatening them you know but i also love how he runs up to the line and just before you think he's gonna like flat out be like because you know that i stole from my own ships like like instead of doing that he like jumps back and like you see that like jokey persona come back on him and he is like you know he deflects it's 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 really great i love it Mm -hmm. like honestly (laughs) i wish if they weren't gonna bring him on back they should have made varic like the main villain for the rest of the season (laughs) so good like, and I wouldn't even have revealed him in this seat. Like, if they were to do something like that, where he's like, you know, he starts as this jokey, comedic, eccentric character in this season. This and then, yeah. And then, like, as each season goes on, we start to like peel back the layers and we're like, oh, this guy's actually like really shady. And then we find out, oh, he's actually like the Palpatine of this world. Like, he's been manipulating everybody. He's got everybody in his pocket. Like, he's the ultimate bad guy in this in this show like yeah. it would have been amazing that would have been great that really would have been great but no but no but, missed opportunities left and right Ugh. right um, um 
yeah so the episode is good um again uh, it takes its time it, it reveals some good introspective character development uh moves things along in a nice way a couple things are kind of contrived and there are a couple missed opportunities here and there um but overall i actually like the episode uh quite a lot uh, it's a good episode, and to be honest with you, I actually kind of feel that the IMDb rating doesn't do it full justice. Like, when I saw 7, I was actually a little disappointed. Um, oh. I don't think it's stellar, it's no or no earth-shaking, but honestly, I'd probably give this episode an 8.1. Oh, interesting. For me, while I do like certain elements, I love, you know, the role reversal of Korra and Tenzin, I love Varric getting some scenes... Obviously, Varric is always a win, just like Zuko. Um, but for me, the story is just a little too slow. Um, and not enough is happening, or at least not enough interesting stuff is happening that, like, I don't really care if Korra gets into the spirit world. Like, I'm sorry. I just don't really care about the spirit world, period, in this show. <laughs> it's a lot more interesting in Avatar because it was spares, it was used very sparingly and it was very mysterious. Whereas here, it's just so like we see it too much and it takes away from a lot of the mystique. So um, yeah, any of the spirit stuff I don't usually care about. So for me, the episode is um, I would definitely go a lot lower than the uh, IMDb rating. I would probably give this one a seven out of 10. <laughs> wow. Look at us. Yeah. These massive, this has been a trend recently, by the way, where I've been rating the episodes a little higher and you've been kind of low yeah just because i know what's coming and i know there are some really high episodes coming in the next couple seasons but these are not it sam <laughs> they're not terrible but they're not it either and you know we should kind of touch on it in, in in a real brief retrospect you know the spirit world well you know what let's not because the next episode is going to deal so much with the spirit world what i'm about to suggest will certainly be covered so you know what let's just jump right in uh the next episode is very spirit very very i would say very spiritually named it's very aptly named uh a new spiritual age uh the episode is written by tim hedrick called it uh and it's directed by ian graham uh it's animated beautifully by studio mir oh, chef's kiss so glad to see them yes and the episode aired November 8th, 2013. The IMDb rating of A New Spiritual Age is a pretty impressive 8.6 out of 10. I'm kind of yeah. interested now, kind of after what we just talked about, the whole spirit world and what your <laughs> rating's going to end up like. But okay, let's just jump right in with some fun facts, Amanda. All right. Um, for our first fun fact, Wan Chi Tong's first, or I guess I should say, this is Wan Chi Tong's first appearance since he left the physical world in Avatar The Last Airbender. I mean, that's not really like, <laughs> there were a lot for this, sorry. It, it's okay. I mean, it's worth pointing out. It's worth pointing out we haven't seen him this entire time. And may I just say, you know, I the library being up with my top two favorite episodes, I, I still don't remember. I think the library is still like my favorite episode from Avatar. I mm -hmm. like freaked yeah. out when I saw him again. I knew it was coming from the preview, like the the trailer for the season. Yeah, the trailer. Oh, I love him I so much. I almost wish, like, looking back, I almost wish I hadn't shown you the trailer just so you would get that rea that initial reaction, being like, "Oh my god, we're going back to the library." Because <laughs> <laughs> you had that reaction when you saw it in the trailer, like you got so excited, <laughs> and I was like, "Yes." Um, yeah, no, I, I think that that was one of the, like, 
one or two episodes of Avatar that you gave like a 10 out of 10 to. Yeah, 100%. Um, like, I would have been 11 out of yeah. 10 if that was an option. Like, the the library, <laughs> I went back and like rewatched the library like two months ago, like just to watch it because I just love the episode <laughs> so much. It is very good. I really do like it. Um, and our second fun fact also has to deal with the library. Um, Janora coming across Professor Zay, who is the uh, teacher of anthropology mm-hmm. at Bossing Say University that traveled with Avatar, Aang, and you know the gang. Um, Janora came across his skeleton is similar to Aang finding Gyatso's skeleton in the Southern Air Temple. I didn't even make that connection until like I read it. I was like, oh, that's true. That that did happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> two young kids, two young airbending kids coming across, you know, skeletons of these older, wiser, you know, knowledgeable people. Um, in very in spiritual places. places. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and then our third and final fun fact is that Iroh's advice to Korra about finding the light within herself parallels a similar piece of advice that he gave Aang in the Crossroads of Destiny about finding the light at the end of a dark tunnel. Yeah, I gotta say that I, I put that at the end because I just kind of wanted to jump right in. Like, Iroh be spitting some like great lines this episode. <laughs> yeah, the man's like a fortune cookie machine. Like, if you're wondering who makes those, it's Iroh in the spirit world exactly did you freak out when you saw him because i don't think he was in the trailer if i remember correctly no i fully admit that like seeing Wan shi tong again in the library was a bigger and more exciting cameo for me because i was just like yes yeah. it's, him, it's the giant owl man yes <laughs> but then seeing iroh i was like ah okay that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yeah but that checks. if anybody <laughs> would wander into the space just wander into the spirit world and the spirits be like oh hey and he's like hey mind if i chill with you guys like for eternity they'd be like sure have a tea it, w- party? it would be iroh they'd be like you guys don't have very you have much tea here and they're like what's tea and he's like oh <laughs> let me tell you <laughs> yes um yeah i was kind of the same way i think that if I remember correctly, when this episode came out, people were like losing their minds at Iroh because I I don't remember it ever being spoiled that he was going to show up in yeah. this episode. So it was a surprise, but it wasn't like a, oh, jump out of my seat, like pointing my finger like it's Iroh, <laughs> like yeah. the meme, you know, I was just kind of like, kind of like you. I was like, yeah, that actually makes sense because he is a very spiritually inclined person and he had been to the spirit world before. So it makes sense that when he died, he would want to stay in the spirit world um and so yeah it was a nice little tie-in and you know always getting to see iroh is always a win um i will say though greg baldwin he returns to voice iroh and he was the voice replacement for iroh after you know mako's death um but for some reason i don't know if it's just because he's older like greg baldwin himself or if it just if he just wasn't in the mood the day (laughs) he didn't sound like iroh to me like, it sounds like someone doing an Iroh impersonation, if that makes sense, like a good one. But it didn't, and he didn't sound nearly as identical as he did in Avatar. Because like in Avatar, you really can't tell the difference. Like, it's yeah. it's a very solid transition from one actor to the next. But in here, I'm like, this doesn't really sound like Iroh to me personally. I mean, I mean, you got to, again, like you said, a lot of time has passed. I mean, we're talking about what it's been but what five six seven years since avatar by this point so yeah one thing like being out of practice but number two 
um you can sure think that like in light of mako's death um you know gray baldwin stepping up there was an immediate relevance a proximity to his passing that there was probably a really big intentional you know need to really do him honor with a a good good iroh where years later you know not mean to sound bad or disrespectful but like you're going to try a lot harder to do him honor when he's just passed away come in and do a voice you did seven years ago sure you know like he's gonna put in the work and i'm and you know good work on his part but yeah it's not gonna be the same it's just not right it's just there's an intangible element that's lost you know exactly and i think that kind of that probably is what it was it's just you know when you're so close to a tragedy like losing an actor like Mako, it's like you know you do want to make sure that it's the top-notch work that you you're do putting in your all um you know exactly um but uh yeah no i I mean, since we're on Iroh, I absolutely love the uh, the line. That was all the fun facts, by the way. <laughs> um, I absolutely love the line that he uh, tells to Korra. And I, I'm going to butcher it, but something along the lines of like, you know, if you look for the dark, that's all you'll ever... Or sorry, no. If you look for the light, you'll often find it. If you look for the dark, that's all you'll ever see. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah. And that is such a true and such a like deep cut statement like very true (laughs) super true you know especially yeah and i think it's something that's become only more and more relevant for the time that we live in the day we live in as we say um you know where there's all kinds of negativity out there there's all kinds of negativity in the world there's unrest politically there's unrest internationally there's you know unrest civilly there's people at each other's throats for all kinds of things and you know that people are more frustrated than ever prices are high inflation is up people aren't making enough money they're unhappy with their employers they're unhappy with their shopping they're unhappy at the gas pumps they're unhappy and it just gets everywhere everything everywhere you turn on the news and it's terrible and i feel like there's so much negativity in the world I really do believe kind of what exactly they metaphorically show when, you know, Korra, uh, with no explanation, kid Korra, she just reverts to being a child, uh, not going to question it. Um, when she's there with Iroh at his tea party, basically, um, she starts uh, complaining and losing her patience and the vibes turn rancid and <laughs> everything is bad and she ruins it for everybody and she just brought down the whole mood of the party great job cora um mm-hmm. but like i mean see that's why it's always a problem being kids to a tea like you know little kids at a restaurant they always ruin it feed your kids at home the point though is that she when she puts out that negative energy it affects the whole mood of everything and I really feel right. like when there's a lot of negativity in the world, it's more important than ever to find positive things, to look mm-hmm. for the silver linings where there's a lot of dark clouds, you know, to look for the little joys when the problem seems so big and, right. and putting negative energy back out into the world by being a part of the negativity, by joining in with people who are complaining or whatever it is that they're doing, just joining in hostility, whether it gives you a sense of belonging or gives you a sense of importance, or maybe it just, you just want to get it off your chest and you feel like there's a forum to vent along with thousands of other people doing it. I just challenge people listening. Just don't do it. Try looking for something better. 
by focusing on finding some light out there in the darkness and focus on that and make that your focus. Maybe even stoke that light a little bigger where you know what, find a way that you can put light that's not out there wherever you are in the world, wherever you are in life, put a little of your own light out there. Damn. So deep. <laughs> That's our PSA for this Millwood and Mike episode. <laughs> you, you be inspired, y'all. Be inspired. Exactly. Um, although you you were questioning, kind of going back to the Cora becoming a child, you were wondering why, like, you didn't understand why she became a child, and I just kind of interpreted it personally as she, because kind of what Iris says, your. I can't remember what he said exactly. Something determines your reality. Oh, and... yes. That 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 basically the way your emotions are determine... Oh, okay. So what we're saying is Korra is basically just a big baby, and so she turns into a kid when she's in the spirit world. Got it. Makes <laughs> no, perfect sense. <laughs> no. Oh, stop it. <laughs> that is like the most... Oh, my God. No. The way I interpret it is she is alone. She is frightened. She is scared. And in that moment, she kind of reverts back to her younger self because, you know, kids get easily scared. And, you know, like I said, it's kind of her emotions determining her reality. So she reverts back to being her, you know, how we see her at the very beginning as a four-year-old child. Um, and when she confronts her fear and she saves the, you know, adorable little baby bird, the spirit bird, mm. um, that brings her back to her current day self like her strong bold you know fearless self and so that is kind of how i interpreted it not that she's a big baby but because <laughs> she had the emotions that a child would experience when lost in a you know unfamiliar place by yourself like you know it 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 would you would turn into a big scared baby oh see oh so, so you agree with me no 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 I, no i'm just okay. no. <laughs> i'm just teasing you and i'm just teasing i'm just, I'm just razzing corn. but um but actually jumping off of what you say uh that is interesting and i i actually have a sort of a reflexive thought about you saying that because it isn't interesting um i would like to propose and take what your theory is actually a step further i think that not mm -hmm. only are you right about it but I think that it's an interesting reflection on maybe the way, since we said your emotions determine your reality, of the way Cora sees herself. When there's a situation where responsibility uh, lands on her, especially failure, where she feels mm -hmm. lost, where she feels scared, what does she always express? That maybe I'm not cut out to be the Avatar. Maybe, basically, maybe I'm not big enough to fill the gap that that ang left when he was gone and so mm -hmm. when she has her moments of self-doubt of fear she doesn't see herself as a whatever she is 17 18 year old you know woman ready to go and perform the 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 duty of the avatar in those moments it's like she falls back into herself and maybe she looks at herself as like i'm literally just a kid with the power of the avatar and everyone expects me to like, do all these great things and save the world and save everybody. And like all mm -hmm. she wants to do, I'll even go one step further than that and imply that maybe just maybe she has what a lot of people have when they're have great expectations placed on them from a very young age, which she did that they sort of lose their childhood. And a lot of times it's hard for them to function as adults because especially in moments of fear and stress, 
they fall back into their inner child because they didn't get to be a child as a kid. They were thrust into responsibility, thrust into the stress of adulthood too early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I think it is. And, you know, and some people like that are emotionally stunted, which, I mean, you could argue in a way that Cora could be emotion or maybe is emotionally stunted because of that exact thing. Like, and it is interesting that, she reverts back to the exactly the way that we see her when we first, when she finds out she's the avatar, the same outfit, the same age. Like it's like, she goes back to a time before she was the avatar right? and before she had all that responsibility. And so it's like, it, I think it was a really interesting choice. And it, I mean, obviously baby core is so adorable, but I think story-wise it makes sense. And it's a good character reflection, just like what we just did. Like it, the more you think about it, the more you're like, yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense why it she would really revert does. back to baby Cora. <laughs> yeah. And it does kind of put in perspective uh, her immature moments and her failings, you know, parts where we're like, oh, come on, Cora, grow up. But like, isn't that exactly what people have always done to her? They've expected her to basically be the avatar, be a la- be a leader, be a warrior, be a be be wise, be sage, be strong. Since she was mm-hmm. a kid. And she probably never was basically never was allowed to show fear to show impulse to do those things because the eyes of her teachers and her mentors were always on her and she never Mm -hmm. got to get the release of having a tantrum or running around or being crazy as a little kid and i think a lot of her impulsiveness as an adult probably comes from that from this like didn't get to be a kid like you said emotionally stunted this sort of like i'm gonna hang on to these childish outbursts as my ways of emotionally expressing myself because i probably wasn't allowed to be emotionally expressive being treated like the Mm -hmm. savior of the world since i was born (laughs) yeah it's it's a she's so fascinating as a character i I can't stand people that don't like I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and we've even ra- we've even come down on her a lot this season about like, I mean, you even especially have even like pointed out how <laughs> mean she is to everybody, how petty she is, and uh, it is interesting. Yes, yeah, still though, she needs therapy and not like th- she needs to like not date until she resolves this. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, she needs to take a break and work on herself. <laughs> <laughs> have a little self care, you know. Find herself. Yeah um the uh the episode also um has of course just kind of jumping into a recap of the episode they make their way into the spirit world and then like immediately she and janora are basically separated hey look i'm in a magical world let's just run randomly off it like off of a magic hill and be hopelessly separated forever sure no problem um although i will say i do love the whole scene of them basically getting separated it it gave me dark alice in wonderland vibes of like falling down the rabbit hole and getting lost and like you know and even scenes like um when cora when she's already separated from janora she's in this dark forest and it was giving a lot of like snow white vibes like the trees coming alive after her like it it was really really cool i i love the darker because that's that's what i like about the spirit world and what i loved about it in uh avatar was that while it was beautiful, it was also incredibly dangerous and mysterious. Like you did not want to mess with any of the spirits or anything like, and so, but you know, in this, in Legend of Korra, 
yeah, it can be like that, like in the scene I was just describing, but most of the time it's bright, it's colorful, it's like vibrant. The spirits are, you know, some of them are annoyed by people coming into the spirit world, but most of them are friendly, like the little dragonfly bunnies, like, and I'm like, I don't know. I like the darker, more mysterious noir vibe that the old spirit world had right. in Avatar personally. Um, but uh, yeah, the spirit yeah, no, world so anyway. is kind of, it's kind of cartoony, kind of froof kind of frou-frou like you know what i mean it's it's yeah. really like it's really candy land almost in you know <laughs> and it's i i agree with you completely i like the idea of the spirit world having a sort of regal mysterious menace to Magis it majesty yes. yes there's a sort of majesty to it where you're entering a higher realm than mm -hmm. your own where there's dragon spirits and there's one shitan the the spirit who knows everything this collector of knowledge there's a sort of there's a sort of you're entering the presence of sort of the royalty and right. and yeah sure a stealer yeah exactly there's these like like it's it's almost like lovecraftian lore where you're entering oh, yeah. the realm of these higher beings and for them to be like like and even in Washington's library, since we're talking about him and his presence, which like, <laughs> like I love I love him so much. It's almost like you have this sort of um, this sort of I don't know how to say it, like this sort of ecological gap in the spirit realm where you have these like big, important, powerful creatures with names and reputations that have existed for mm -hmm. millennia. And then you just have sort of their little like demon minions. You have the little fox spirits <laughs> that go do his bidding and they don't even talk. They just like, Aah! and they like scurry around and grab knowledge in some way, shape right. or form. They grab books and flash drives and stuff. I don't know. And like bring it back to him. And they're just like, Oh, here you go. By the way, real quick, I love his description of like, of course I know how a radio works. It's a box with a smaller box inside of it. And inside of it's, it's a, a tiny man who sings. And then he like, yeah. she explains how it actually works. And he's like, well, I seem to have been fed some misinformation. You see the fox spirit way back, like hang its head. Like, sorry, I got the whole, I got it wrong. So I went to the flat earthers for information on how radios work can't win them all no can't win them all i went to the fire nation to ask how radios work. <laughs> goodness but so but i but again to say once again how much i agree with you um you know it's nice that everything was this sort of vague gloomy sort of like you know mystique to it and when things are so bright and cheery and kind of again kind of cartoonishly uh vibrant and dare i use the word a little you know, kind of silly like i get they're trying mm -hmm. to put levity into it but like eh, it would have been better if the whole thing was kind of like a library like, vibe well you know? it's a good description the way that you described it as the avatar's version of the spirit world being more lovecraftian you know very mysterious dark you know kind of mysterious i already said mysterious anyway and then you know legend of korra's um spirit world being more miyazaki whimsical colorful whimsical like, is a very good word yes that's silly right. the word i was looking for was whimsical right and so like it's not that one is better than the other well i think they, <laughs> we, we just good. both prefer the other version right yeah it feels a little tonally distant 
like the two versions of the spirit world that we know from Avatar and Legend of Korra. Like they don't feel like the same spirit world is the point. Yeah. And so I wish that there had been a bit more either bleeding of Legend of Korra into, you know, Avatar or the darkness of Avatar into Legend of Korra's spirit world. But anyway, that's enough of the spirit. <laughs> We've gone on about this way too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because in the end, she winds up taking the injured bird up the mountain um, with Iroh's mm -hmm. wonderful advice you know, in her pocket. Uh, she brings it back up to the top. She uses the advice, puts her light out, and you know conquers the demons, so to speak, that are there. She returns the bird, mm -hmm. and she even gets a ride. A ride back, by the way, to, you know where she's going she, a really big uh never-ending story like <laughs> vibes right yeah. there she's riding on the dragon that was cool Turn around. and then, then we find out in a oh you know what i thought she thought it was a pretty earth-shaking twist because i love wan Tong, and he it was honestly no it was like a oh <gasps> Okay, that makes sense. When like he was working <laughs> with Unalog, I was like, yeah, he would. He would really. Like he he really he really he really really would. I can't fault him. You know, Wan Shitan did nothing wrong. Mako did nothing wrong. And he has spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does no, because I forgot about that twist, honestly. And like I it's not really a twist because it there's no real build up to it, but um I forgot about that. And when I'm watching him and Janora and she's trying to like get him to let her look at the library because he obviously doesn't want her to look. He doesn't want any humans to look because mm -hmm. look what happened the last time humans came in. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, he and then he just kind of folds and I'm like, wait, what? Really? It's that easy. Just her mentioning that she's friends with the Avatar. The Avatar is the one that put this place here in the first place. You would hate her. Like, oh, yeah. I, it made no sense. And then I was like, when, when Unalak was revealed, I was like, oh, that's why. That actually does make sense. Yeah, that <laughs> like, really, you're like that. Tra Tong would never. That tracks. <laughs> yeah, that, that tracks. Oh. So it, they got me there. They had me in the first half, not gonna lie. <laughs> but, yeah, no. So it did ultimately make sense. Um, and I would I would believe that Wan Chitong would let Una lock into his library and, you know, conspire with him because as we've seen throughout this whole season, you know, the one positive aspect about Unalak is that he actually does care about the spirits and he does have a lot of spiritual, you know, knowledge and all that. Yeah. Um, and so his, as Cora says, you know, his spirit knowledge is legit. Like it's, it's for real. She doesn't mm -hmm. say legit. Anyway. It would be funny if she um, did though. <laughs> that legit for real. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So that, that whole little sub story is really interesting. Um, and then, but the big twist, the big twist for me, at least when I first watched it was the ending where, you know, Korra and Janora are both kind of captured by Unalak in the spirit world and neither of them have their bending because they meditated in. Um, and I actually love that that was a change, not a change, but that was something that was added to the lore of the spirit world. Cause we knew from Avatar that if you meditate into the spirit world, you can't, you don't take your bending with you. Right. Cause it's a function of your coming, body. Right. It's just, it's like a, almost like a, what is it called? Astral projection almost. Right. Um, right and so but if you come in physically through the portals you do have you can have your bending or you right. do have your bending 
And I love that. <laughs> so that's a really interesting, because that's a good way to have bending in the spirit world. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, they don't have their bending and they're basically captured by Unalak. And Korra, last minute, literally last second, is saved by the firebird that she saved earlier in the episode. Um, but Janora is not. So Korra wakes up and she's like, and this animation on Korra, when she like, she is shook, <laughs> she is terrified to tell Tenzin about Janora because Janora does not wake up. And Tenzin, his voice acting, J.K. Simmons' voice acting in that part, you know, what mm -hmm. happened to my little girl? I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> like this would be any parent's worst nightmare. Like it's so scary. And Cora just has this terrible, terrified look on her face. Like she it really messed up. Um, not that it was her fault, but like, you know, the fact that she came back and Janora didn't is like super bad. So mm -hmm. um yeah, is and you're just like, uh, what's gonna happen? How are they gonna get Janora back? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a whole thing. And I thought that was a really strong way to end the episode. Um, but uh, yeah, were there any other thoughts on this episode that you had? Honestly, really not. I mean, I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, we touched on the library and Iroh and everything. Um, yeah, no. Uh, overall, this episode is. Uh, while it's better than the last one and so much as there's a lot of things happening um it's kind of for me a little bit of a mixed bag because there's so many things that are so good about it i love that wan Tong is back it's very short more like a cameo for him um i i think that the arc of the episode as far as the choices with the story are good because um again they reveal so much they introduce iroh and explain him being in the spirit world um he imparts a lot of great wisdom to Korra, and then she goes up the mountain and everything um i feel like the episode is a really big info dump on the spirit world though there's just so much new information thrown at us it's done tastefully but it's just like a lot of just kind of like world building lore about why things are the way they are in the spirit world and things like that um right it's interesting it drives the point home but kind of like you uh, the spirit world is honestly the least interesting part of the season for me like right? <laughs> give me the actually good like Varric and mako and bolin stuff the political intrigue which is the favorite okay and like i've said like i said in an earlier part about the season it isn't even the actual political intrigue it's like the whole plot it's like the plot the scheming the secret thing going on because Unalak right. at the start he's not the political intrigue we knew he was bad from the start the first four episodes were right. not interesting as far as political intrigue this whole Varric thing the arc with him whole trying to engineer the war that's like the meat and potatoes that's what i'm enjoying most about it mm -hmm. the spirit world yeah honestly not that interesting to me so um again but it's the good parts are really good despite the fact that this is in my opinion the less interesting storyline that's happening in season two uh, overall i gotta say this episode kind of balances out almost like the last one did for me um but having iroh back earns it a couple of extra points i would give this episode an 8.3 out of 10. all right i'm also gonna go low again <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no i'm gonna give i'm gonna give this one higher than the last one for sure because i i do like the stuff that is brought into this episode you know wan chitong iroh all that 
um and the ending is really strong i feel like mm -hmm. um but because it focuses so much on the spirit world and again we've already talked to death about it and how i prefer avatar spirit or their depiction of the spirit world um for me this is a solid 7.5 out of 10. wow like, brutal definitely. i mean not really i'm surprised you gave it that high honestly <laughs> <laughs> like i said it's hard I to rate because the good stuff is so good and like you know, this episode, honestly, though, despite the misgivings we had about it and things that were like, eh, about it, um, the episode's very rewatchable, is, I think, mm -hmm. the thing about it. There's so many interesting things happen, whereas the last episode was really slow, you know? Right. So. Yeah, that's fair. Points for re for rewatchability. Yes. <laughs> well, we, we've got some of the... Uh... You know the scheming the plotting the varic in the next couple episodes oh so yeah we got that to look forward to <laughs> that we definitely do and we'll be getting to it in the next episode so stay tuned everybody that's all for today to all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode so feel free to leave a review or comment follow the podcast give us a good rating and all that good stuff you can find us on twitter at millwood and micah and please follow our 